Hello, good people, and welcome back. I hope y'all like that song as much as I do. I have been, once again, filmmusic.io um, uh, sort of centers around, eh, I should say, it it either started with or started as a collaboration with um, Kevin McLeod, um, who is, y'all have heard Kevin McLeod's music not just here, but all over the place. Um, one of the first people to sort of widely distribute music that anyone can use for different projects like this. And I am so thankful. I love that song. I think it really, really nicely kind of captures this. It's not the official music, but it is great nonetheless. Um, and we found some really incredible music for some of the rest as well. One thing that I kind of forgot here, gang, uh, is that <laughs> for those of you who are joining me for the first time, I've been relatively faithful so far, eh, eh, but I do want to say this. The voices that I use for these different characters, um, some of them I will sort of be airing a little bit closer to the, uh, closer to the films. Some of them I'm going to uh, differ wildly. I might change accents for whole regions of places, um, like the, the sort of Rohan versus uh, uh, Gondor sort of uh, political arrangement there. Those regions, I, I, I may sort of play around with some of the accents in order to make it a clearer listening experience for you all. Um, just something I wanted to sort of put out there so that when you, you know, when it comes to this person's voice or that person's voice and it sounds wildly different from the movies just know i am not an impressionist um i as a matter of fact i, I do some pretty shock poor impressions but <laughs> if you want proof of it ask ask anyone ask anyone who's been here for a while about christopher stumbling um <laughs> they will they will give you the proof that you need um so, lots of voices, they're gonna sound different than they do in the movies. But, everybody, how are you feeling about chapter one? Who's excited? Um, I am seeing that someone is doing an art along with this, which I can't, there, there are some titles where it's just like, it's a little, the English on it is a little bit clunky, but there is no, there is no better way to title it. It's just a very good title. And I like this idea of an art along. Uh, I am wondering what Orly Rose is working on. It's a hobbit hole drawing, says Orly Rose. Fantastic. That is really cool. Hey, I tell y'all what, um, I really want to make, uh, I don't know if, how many of y'all are familiar with like tabletop wargaming, but I have been inspired by uh, a YouTube channel called Real Terrain Hobbies. Um, in addition to some of my uh, some of my late night Oblivion streams, I will probably be doing some crafting streams myself um, because I sort of realized you know I did one last year, but only being able to see one tiny part of the process is not great. Uh, plus, I just want some like video documentation of some of the stuff that I'm doing, and so uh, I plan to be doing some like nighttime, uh, very quiet crafting streams. Um, and one of the things I want to work on is uh, I want to make the Shire. I want to make a big, for those of you who are not familiar with like tabletop wargaming, um, you could think of it more as like a diorama, but I'm talking like four feet by six feet. Did you hear that correctly? Yes, you did. A big old four foot by six foot um, uh, <laughs> diorama of the Shire. And of course, specifically, uh, uh, specifically sort of the bag end area. Because the Shire, y'all, look at the Shire. Look at the map of the Shire. It's absolutely enormous. It's absolutely enormous. Much bigger than I realized. Um, matter of fact, I think I've got the, I, I have the version with the map, but yeah, um, there is, 
I had sort of always assumed that like the Shire was simply the tiny little neighborhood, but no, the Shire is the Shire's on the map here. It's sizable. <laughs> like the Shire is the size of the entire forest of Lorien. You know? So, just something to something to keep an eye on. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I want to do a big four foot by six foot kind of miniature diorama of uh of the bag end area. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, so y'all can be keeping up on that. I, I tend to do like crafting stuff like that while uh, Cass and I watch some TV. And so they'll likely be very, very quiet streams. I want to figure out a way to mic it so you don't have to listen to the TV, but you can listen to crafting noises because crafting noises are kind of great. I'm going to be honest. Um, but I'm going to be doing those. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be doing these oblivion streams, which means y'all kind of expect expect me to be doing the same stuff that I've been doing here. You know, we've got uh We've got the the Sherlock Holmes. We've got the Lord of the Rings. We're going to be doing both of these as per usual, um, uh, along with our Wednesdays. But I'm also going to be adding on like basically streams of stuff that I do in my day anyway. That might be kind of fun to hang out and watch. Oblivion is going to be in the place of playing a lot of Warzone, which I shouldn't be playing as much of anyway because, well, it's it's really taken a lot out of my life. <laughs> so instead, we're going to hang out and I'm going to play some Oblivion. Man, Proteus Spade has been giving me a lot of help on the mod front, and I can already tell you folks, uh, y'all remember the tater faces from uh, our episode one of our playthrough of Oblivion? Well, those tater faces are no more. Um, tater faces are gone. I am super excited to be jumping back into it with mods, because it's my first time ever experiencing it like this. I When I played back in the day, it was on like, I want to say it was the 360? Yeah, I think so. Folks? Thank you so much for being here. Without much further ado, let's launch into our chapter two. A spot of review, as we always do, um, sort of mid, uh, midstream here. What have you missed? Well, kind of a lot, actually. Uh, but I'm going to summarize it as quickly as possible. Uh, <laughs> I've got a feeling that JT is trolling right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, chapter one. We are coming back, uh, and once again, we are seeing... Bilbo Baggins. You know, we know Bilbo from The Hobbit. But, wait a second. We, we're not spending a lot of time with Bilbo, are we? No, because Bilbo, um, he has spent, you know, his time since the adventures of the book of The Hobbit. Um, he spent that time um, just sort of living a kind of quiet but uh, prosperous life and taken on a new heir. Uh, one of his young cousins, now an adult, Frodo Baggins, just reached 33, which is sort of coming of age for hobbits, uh, as they live a notably long time. One of the oldest was like 130. Um, so at 33, some uh, a hobbit coming of age, this young Frodo Baggins, we find Bilbo is heading off. He's heading out of here. Um, the... The party that's coming up to celebrate the birthdays of both Bilbo and Frodo. This party, uh, it's invited all these hobbits from far and wide, even non-hobbits. A, a, a wizard by the name of Gandalf. Many of, many of us know him already. Um, uh, and then lots of you know other interesting relations and strange folk. But at the end of the day, um, at the end of this party, it, it goes on. The hobbits are all enjoying themselves. And at the end of this party, Bilbo gives this big speech about how he really appreciates he appreciates them all for being here, but he feels just strange being in one place for so long. And he's lived a pretty quiet life since the since his last big adventure, and now he intends to go away. This is goodbye. 
okay, interesting. What does he mean by that? And then he just flat out disappears. Just straight up, uh, Penn and Teller disappears from view. Um, and we find out why. We leave the party and we come back to his home where we find him taking off this magic ring that uh, has made him invisible uh, and meeting up with Gandalf, who has come to kind of, it seems, ensure that Bilbo sticks to his plan. Bilbo's got a plan. He's going to leave and he's going to leave everything basically behind to Frodo, including this strange ring. The more Bilbo talks about this ring and how... He doesn't really want to leave it behind. He would sort of rather bring it with him. It is, after all, it's his. It's his own. It's his precious. Well, Gandalf has heard that before. Gandalf is starting to worry about this ring. Uh, and so he says, Bilbo, you really should leave it here. Don't take it with you. Be free of the darn thing. And uh, after an argument where uh, 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 Gandalf kind of has to show off a little portion of his power. Um, that was only 2% of my power. <laughs> he, uh, uh, Bilbo does indeed agree to leave it behind, leave it to Frodo. Um, and Gandalf agrees that he will keep an eye on Frodo and on the ring. And with that, Bilbo departs. At the end of all this, uh, Frodo comes back to find that Bilbo has already left. He was half anticipating this, but... In a strange move, Gandalf does not stick around to play uh, sort of protector and watcher for our friend Frodo. No, he leaves almost immediately. Of course, in in this time period, like immediately is a uh, a a bit of a stretch, um, but. Frodo is now just sort of living at Bag End, enjoying some of the riches. Uh, a lot of the sort of um, the, the material wealth had been given away uh, in sort of a grand going away gesture by Bilbo. And now Frodo is here just sort of presiding over Bag End. He feels a little odd. He sort of feels like he would have liked to go with, with, uh, with Bilbo. But Bilbo and his instincts may have been right about one thing. And that is that Bilbo, that is that Frodo still loves the Shire. At least for now. Hey, Hud, how's it going? Hud, how is the uh, how's the woodworking going? <laughs> I hope you are well. Thank you so much for the subscription. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, my good folks, anyone who is considering, of course, the Prime subscriptions, this is the spot for that. This is this is the spot um, uh, here on Twitch. Anyone who sort of makes your week a little bit better, if you've already got a Prime subscription, I certainly encourage you to throw it at somebody. Um, but I also want to mention that uh, sort of for one of the final times here, we are currently uh, sort of wrapping up Book Fair. Tomorrow is the final day of Book Fair, which is, of course, our yearly event where we try a lot of new things, uh, a lot of new stuff. And the reason why that is possible, the reason why uh, I feel comfortable committing to this series right here, the reason why we are reading not just chapter one, but chapter two and three and on and on every single week the reason I can do that is because of my patrons. So I want to say thank you very, very much to all of my patrons over on Patreon. If you want to find out more about that, go ahead and uh, hit up patreon.com slash sidecar stories. Um, that is the thing that makes this possible, and my patrons are absolutely fantastic. It's why I don't have to worry about what goofiness Twitch is up to. Thank you all so very, very much. Um, you're all excellent partners in helping me to create things for people to listen to. Are y'all ready? Are y'all ready for this? 
Chapter 2, here we come. Now, I will say, I did not collect nearly as much art for this one, because uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it to it, so less art. We're just going to stick with the one page, but I think it'll do us just fine. Because, frankly, this is just kind of a very long scene in the same location, for the most part. Chapter 2. The Shadow of the Past. The talk did not die down in nine or even ninety-nine days. The second disappearance of Mr. Bilbo Baggins was discussed in Hobbiton and indeed all over the Shire for a year and a day. And it was remembered much longer than that. It became a fireside story for young hobbits, and eventually, Mad Baggins, who used to vanish with a bang and a flash and reappear with bags of jewels and gold, became a favorite character of legend, and lived on long after all the true events were forgotten. But in the meantime, the general opinion in the neighborhood was that Bilbo, who had always been rather cracked, had at last gone quite mad, and had run off into the blue. There he had undoubtedly fallen into a pool or a river and come to a tragic and hardly an untimely end. The blame was mostly laid on Gandalf. If only that dratted wizard would leave young Frodo alone, perhaps he'd settle down and grow some of it since, they said. And to all appearance, the wizard did leave Frodo alone, and he did settle down. But the growth of hobbit sense was not very noticeable. Indeed, he at once began to carry on Bilbo's reputation for oddity. He refused to go into mourning, and the next year he gave a party in honor of Bilbo's 112th birthday, which he called the Hundredweight Feast. But that was short of the mark, for twenty guests were invited, and there were several meals at which it snowed food and rained drink, as hobbits say. Some people were rather shocked, but Frodo kept up the custom of giving Bilbo's birthday party year after year, until they got used to it. He said he did not think Bilbo was dead. When they asked, Where is he then? He shrugged his shoulders. He lived alone, as Bilbo had done, but he had a good many friends, especially among the younger hobbits, mostly descendants of the old Took, who had, as children, been fond of Bilbo and often come in and out of Bag End. Falco Boffin and Fredegar Bolger were two of these. But his closest friends were Peregrine Took, usually called Pippin, and Mary Brandybuck. His real name was Meriadoc, but that was seldom remembered. Frodo went tramping all over the Shire with them, but more often he wandered by himself. And to the amazement of sensible folk, he was sometimes seen far from home, walking in the woods and hills under the moonlight. Merry and Pippin suspected he visited the elves at times, as Bilbo had done. As time went on, people began to notice that Frodo also showed signs of good preservation. Outwardly, he retained his appearance of a robust and energetic hobbit just out of his tweens. Some folks have got all the luck, they said. But it was not until Frodo approached the usually more sober age of 50 that they began to think it queer. Frodo himself, after the first shock, found that being his own master and the Mr. Baggins of Bag End was rather pleasant. For some years he was quite happy and he did not worry much about the future. But half unknown to himself, the regret that he had not gone with Bilbo was steadily growing. He found himself wondering at times, especially in the autumn, about the wild lands and strange visions of mountains that he had never seen came into his dreams. He began to say to himself, 
Perhaps I shall cross the river myself one day. To which the other half of his mind always replied, Not yet. So it went on, until his forties were running out and his fiftieth birthday was drawing near. Fifty was a number that he felt had somehow an ominous or significant... Fifty was a number that he felt was somehow significant or ominous. It was, at any rate, at that age that adventures had suddenly befallen Bilbo. Frodo began to feel restless, and the old paths seemed too well-trodden. He looked at maps and wondered what lay beyond their edges. Maps made in the Shire showed mostly white spaces beyond its borders. He took to wandering further afield, and more often by himself. And Mary and his other friends watched him anxiously. Often he was seen walking and talking with the strange wayfarers that began at this time to appear in the Shire. There were rumors of things happening in the world outside, and as Gandalf had not yet at that time appeared or sent any message for several years, Frodo gathered all the news he could. Elves, who seldom walked in the Shire, could now be seen passing westward through the woods in the evening. Passing and not returning but they were leaving Middle-earth and were no longer concerned with its troubles. There were, however, dwarves on the road in unusual numbers. The ancient east-west road ran through the Shire to its end at the Grey Havens, and dwarves had always used it on their way to the mines in the Blue Mountains. They were the Hobbit's chief source of news from distant parts, if they wanted any. As a rule, dwarves said little, and Hobbits asked no more. But now Frodo often met strange dwarves of far-off countries seeking refuge in the West. They were troubled, and some spoke in whispers of the enemy and the land of Mordor. That name the hobbits only knew in legends of the dark past, like a shadow in the background of their memories, but it was ominous and disquieting. It seemed that the evil power in Mirkwood had been driven out by the White Council, only to reappear in greater strength in the old strongholds of Mordor. The dark tower had been rebuilt, it was said. From there... The power was spreading far and wide, and away far east and south there were wars and growing fear. Orcs were multiplying again in the mountains. Trolls were abroad, no longer dull-witted but cunning and armed with dreadful weapons. And there were murmured hints of creatures more terrible than all these, but they had no name. Little of all this, of course, reached the ears of ordinary hobbits, but even the deafest and most stay-at-home began to hear queer tales, and those whose busyness took them to the borders saw strange things. The conversation in the Green Dragon at Bywater, one evening in the spring of Frodo's fiftieth year, showed that even in the comfortable heart of the Shire, rumors had been heard, though most hobbits still laughed at them. Sam Gamgee was sitting in one corner near the fire, and opposite him was Ted Sandyman, the miller's son, and there were various other rustic hobbits listening to their talk. Eh, queer things you do air these days, to be sure, said Sam. Ah, said Ted, you do if you listen, but I can hear fireside tales and children's stories at home if I want to. Yeah, no doubt you can, retorted Sam, and I dare say there's more truth in some of them than you reckon. Who invented the stories anyway? Take dragons now. No, thank you. I won't, said Ted. I heard tell of them when I was a youngster, and there's no call to believe in them now. There's only one dragon in Bywater, and that's green, he said, getting a general laugh. 
Eh, all right, said Sam, laughing with the rest. But what about these tree men? These giants, as you might call them? They do say that one bigger than a tree was seen away up beyond the North Moors not long back. Who's they? My cousin Hal, for one. He works for Mr. Boffin at Overhill and goes up to the North Farthing for hunting. He saw one. <laughs> he said he did, perhaps. Your Al's always been saying he's seen things. And maybe he sees things that ain't there. But there was this one that was big as an elm tree and walking, walking seven yards to a stride if it was an inch. Then I bet it wasn't an inch. What he saw was an elm tree, like as not. But this one was walking, I tell you. And there ain't no elm tree on the North Moors. Then Al can't have seen one, said Ted. There was some laughing and clapping. The audience seemed to think that Ted had scored a point. Well, all the same, said Sam. You can't deny that others beside our Halfast have seen queer folk crossing the Shire. Crossing it, mind you. There are more that are turning back to the borders. The Bounders have never been so busy before. And I've heard tell that elves are moving west. What they do is... Going to the harbors, out of way beyond the White Towers. Oh, never mind. Hold on. New paragraph, same speaker. And I've heard tell that elves are moving west. They do say they're going to the harbors, out away beyond the White Towers. Sam waved his arm vaguely. Neither he nor any of them knew how far it was to the sea, past the old towers beyond the western borders of the Shire. But it was an old tradition that away over there stood the Grey Havens from which, at times, elven ships set sail, never to return. They're sailing, sailing, sailing over the sea. They're going to the west and leaving us, said Sam, half chanting the words, shaking his head sadly and solemnly. But Ted laughed. Well, that isn't anything new, if you believe the old stories. I don't see what it matters to you or me. Let them sail. But I warrant you haven't seen them doing it, nor has anyone else in this shire. Well, I don't know, said Sam thoughtfully. He believed he had once seen an elf in the woods and still hoped to see more one day. Of all the legends he had heard in his early years, such fragments of tales and half-remembered stories about the elves, as all the hobbits knew, had always moved him most deeply. There are some, even in these parts, as know the fair folk and get news of them he said. There's Mr. Baggins now, that I work for. He told me that they were sailing, and he knows a bit about the elves. And old Mr. Bilbo knew more. Many's the talk I had with him when I was a little lad. Well, they're both cracked, said Ted. Leastways, old Bilbo was cracked, and Frodo's cracking. If that's where you get your news from, you'll never want for moonshine. Well, friends, I'm off home. To your good elf... He drained his mug and went out noisily. Sam sat silent and said no more. He had a good deal to think about. For one thing, there was a lot to do up in the Bag End Garden. He would have a busy day tomorrow if the weather cleared. The grass was growing fast. But Sam had more on his mind than gardening. After a while, he sighed and got up and went out. It was early April, and the sky was now clearing after heavy rain. The sun was down, and a cool, pale evening was quietly fading into night. He walked home under the early stars, through Hobbiton and up the hill, 
whistling softly and thoughtfully. It was just at this time that Gandalf reappeared after his long absence. For three years after the party he had been away, then he paid Frodo a brief visit, and after taking a good look at him, he went off again. During the next year or two, he had turned up fairly often, coming unexpectedly after dusk and going off again without warning before sunrise. He would not discuss his own business and journeys, and seemed chiefly interested in small news about Frodo's health and doings. Then suddenly, his visits had ceased. It was over nine years since Frodo had seen or heard of him, and he had begun to think that the wizard would never return again, and had given up all interest in hobbits. But that evening, as Sam was walking home and twilight was fading, there came the once familiar tap on the study window. Frodo welcomed his old friend with surprise and delight. They looked hard at one another. Well, eh? said Gandalf. You look exactly the same as ever, Frodo. So do you, Frodo replied. But secretly, he thought Gandalf looked older and more careworn. He pressed him for news of himself and of the wide world, and soon they were deep in talk, and they stayed up far into the night. The next morning, after a late breakfast, the wizard was sitting with Frodo by the open window of the study. A bright fire was in the hearth, but the sun was warm and the wind was in the south. Everything looked fresh, and the new green of spring was shimmering in the fields and on the tips of the tree's fingers. Gandalf was thinking of a spring, nearly eighty years before, when Bilbo had run out of Bag End without a handkerchief. His hair was perhaps whiter than it had been before, and his beard and eyebrows were perhaps longer, and his face lined with more care and wisdom, but the eyes were as bright as they ever were, and he smoked and blew smoke rings with the same vigor and delight. He was smoking now in silence, for Frodo was sitting still, deep in thought. Even in the light of the morning, he felt the dark shadow of the tidings that Gandalf had brought. At last, he broke the silence. "'Last night you began to tell me strange things about my ring, Gandalf,' he said. "'And then you stopped, because you said that such matters were best left until daylight. "'Don't you think you'd better finish now? "'You said that the ring was dangerous, far more dangerous than I could guess. "'In what ways?' "'In many ways,' answered the wizard. "'It is far more powerful than I ever dared to think at first, "'so powerful that, in the end, it would utterly overcome "'anyone of mortal race who, prote- who possessed it. "'It would possess him. "'In Eresia, long ago, many elven rings were made.' Magic rings, as you call them, and they were, of course, of various kinds. Some were more potent and some less. The lesser rings were only essays in the craft before it was full-grown, and to the elven smiths they were but trifles, yet still, to my mind, dangerous for mortals. But the great rings, the rings of power, they were perilous. A mortal, Frodo, who keeps one of the great rings, does not die. But he does not grow or obtain more life. He merely continues, until at last every minute is a weariness. And if he often uses the ring to make himself invisible, 
He fades. He becomes in the end invisible permanently and walks under the twilight in the eye of the dark power that rules the rings. Yes. Sooner or later, later if he is strong or well-meaning to begin with, but never, but neither strength nor good purpose will last, sooner or later the dark power will devour him. How terrifying, said Frodo. There was another long silence. The sound of Sam Gamgee cutting the lawn came in from the garden. "'How long have you known this?' asked Frodo at length. "'And how much did Bilbo know?' "'Bilbo know no more than he told you, I'm sure,' said Gandalf. "'He would certainly never have passed it on to you. "'If he thought that anything would be a danger, even though I promised to look after you, "'he thought that the ring was very beautiful and very useful indeed.' And if anything was wrong or queer about it, it was... And if anything was wrong or queer, it was himself. He said that it was growing on his mind, and he was always worrying about it. But he did not suspect that the ring itself was to blame. Though he found out, a thing needed looking after. It did not always seem of the same size or weight. It, it shrank or expanded in odd ways, and might suddenly slip off of a finger... It had once been tight. Yes, yes, he warned me about that in his last letter, said Frodo. So I've always kept it on its chain. Very wise, said Gandalf. But as for his long life, Bilbo never corrected. Bilbo never connected it with the ring at all. He took all the credit for himself. He was very proud of it. Although he was getting restless and uneasy, uh, thin and stretched, he said, a sign that the ring was getting control. How long have you known about this, all of it? asked Frodo again. Known? said Gandalf. I've known much that only the wise know, Frodo, but if you mean known about this ring, and I still do not know, one might say, there is... One last test to make, but I no longer doubt my guess. When did I first begin to guess? He mused, searching back in memory. Oh, let me see, it was in the year that the White Council drove the Dark Power from Mirkwald, just before the Battle of Five Armies, that, that Bilbo found his ring. Let me see. It was in the year that the White Council drove the dark power from Mirkwood, just before the Battle of Five Armies, that Bilbo found this ring. A shadow fell upon my heart then. I did not yet know what I feared. I wondered how Gollum came by a great ring, as plain as it was. That, at least, was clear from the start. Then I heard Bilbo's strange story of how he had won it, and I could not believe it. When at last I got the truth out of him, I saw at once that he had been trying to put his claim to the ring beyond doubt, much like Gollum with his birthday present. All lies were too much alike for my comfort. Clearly the ring had an unwholesome power that set to work upon its keeper at once. That was the first real warning I got, that it was not all well. I told Bilbo often that such rings were better left unused, 
but he resented it and soon got angry. There was little else that I could do. I could not take it from him without doing greater harm, and I had no right to do so anyway. I could only watch and wait. I might have consulted Solomon the White, but something always held me back. Who is he? asked Frodo. I've never heard of him before. Maybe not, answered Gandalf. Hobbits are or were of no concern to him. Yet he is great among the wise. He is the chief of my order and the head of the council. His knowledge is deep, but his pride has grown with it, and he takes ill any meddling. The lore of the elven rings, great and small, is his province. He has long studied it, and, seeking the lost secrets of their making, but when the rings were debated in the council, all that he would reveal to us of his ring law told against my fears. So, I doubt slept, but uneasily. Still, I watched and waited, and all seemed well with Bilbo, and the years passed. Yes, they passed, and they seemed not to touch him. He showed no signs of age. The shadow fell upon me again. But I, I said to myself, after all, he comes of a long-lived family on his mother's side. There is time I shall wait. And I waited until that night when he left his house. He said and did things then that filled me with a fear that no words of Solomon could allay. I knew at last that something dark and deadly was at work. I have spent most of my years since then finding out the truth about it. There wasn't any permanent harm done, was there? asked Frodo anxiously. He would get all right in time, wouldn't he? Being able to rest in peace, I mean. You felt better at once, said Gandalf. But uh, there is only one power in this world that knows all about the rings and their effects. There's and as far as I know, there is no power in the world that knows all about hobbits. Among the wise, I am the only one that goes in for hobbit law, an obscure branch of knowledge, but full of surprises. Soft as butter, they can be, and yet sometimes tough as old tree roots. I think it likely that some would resist the rings far longer than most of the wise would believe. I don't think you need to worry about Bilbo. Of course... He possessed the ring for many years, and used it, so it might take a long while for the influence to wear off, before it was safe for him to see it again, for instance. Otherwise he might have lived on for years, quite happily, just as he was before he parted with it. For he gave it up in the end, of his own accord, an important point. No, I, I was not troubled about dear Bilbo any more. Once he had let the thing go, it is for you that I feel responsible. Ever since Bilbo left, I have been deeply concerned about you, and about all these charming, absurd, helpless hobbits. It would be a grievous blow to the world if the dark power overcame the Shire, if all your kind, jolly, stupid, bulgers, hornblowers, boffins, Bracegirdles and all the rest, not to mention the ridiculous bagginses, became enslaved. Frodo shuddered. 
But why should we be? he asked. And why should he want such slaves? To tell you the truth, replied Gandalf, I believe that hitherto, hitherto, mark you, he has entirely overlooked the existence of hobbits. You shall be thankful, but your safety has passed. He does not need you. He's got many more useful servants, but he won't forget you again. And hobbits, as miserable slaves, would please him far more than hobbits happy and free. There is such a thing as malice and revenge. Revenge, said Frodo. Revenge for what? I still don't understand what all this has to do with Bilbo and myself and our ring. It has got everything to do with it, said Gandalf. You do not know the real peril yet, but you shall. I was not sure of it myself when I was last here, but the time has come to speak. Give me the ring for a moment. Frodo took it from his breeches pocket, where it was clasped to a chain that hung from his belt. He unfastened it and handed it slowly to the wizard. It felt suddenly very heavy, as if... Either it or Frodo himself was in some way reluctant for Gandalf to touch it. Gandalf held it up. It looked to be made of pure and solid gold. Can you see any markings upon it? he asked. No, said Frodo. There are none. It's quite plain, and it never shows a scratch of wear or any sign. No, there are none. It's quite plain, and... It never shows a scratch or a sign of wear. Well, then, look! To Frodo's astonishment and distress, the wizard threw it suddenly into the middle of a glowing corner of the fire. Frodo gave a cry and groped for the tongs, but Gandalf held him back. Wait! He said in a commanding voice, giving Frodo a quick look from under his bristling brows. No apparent change came over the ring. After a while, Gandalf got up, closed the shutters outside the window, and drew the curtains. The room became dark and silent, though the clack of Sam's shears, now nearer to the windows, could still be heard faintly from the garden. For a moment, the wizard stood looking at the fire. Then he stooped and removed the ring to the hearth with the tongs, and at once picked it up. Frodo gasped. "'It is quite cool,' said Gandalf. "'Take it.' Frodo received it in his shrinking palm. It seemed to become heavier and thicker than ever. Hold it up, said Gandalf, and look closely. As Frodo did so, he now saw fine lines, finer than the finest pen strokes, running along the ring, outside and inside, lines of fire that seemed to form the letters of a flowing script. They shone piercingly bright, and yet remote as if out of a great depth. "'Cannot read the fiery letters,' said Frodo in a quavering voice. "'No, but I can. "'The letters are elvish, of an ancient mode, "'but the language is that of Mordor, which I will not utter here. "'But this in the common tongue is what it says, close enough. "'One ring to rule them all.' One ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. It is only two lines of a verse long known in elven lore, 
three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne, in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to fight them, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them, in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. He paused and then said slowly in a deep voice, This is the Master Ring, the one ring to rule them all. This is the one ring that he lost many ages ago to the great weakening of his power. He greatly desires it, but he must not get it. Frodo sat motionless and silent. Fear seemed to stretch out in a vast hand like a dark cloud rising in the east and looming up to engulf him. This ring, he stammered, how, how on earth did it come to me? Ah, said Gandalf. That is a very long story. The beginnings lie back in the black years, which only the law masters now can remember. If I were to tell you that tale, you would still be sitting here when spring had passed into winter. But last night I told you of Sauron the Great, the Dark Lord. The rumors that you have heard are true. He has indeed arisen and again left his hold in Mirkwood and returned to his ancient fastness in the Dark Tower of Mordor. That name... Even you hobbits have heard of, like a shadow on the borders of old stories. Always, after a defeat and a respite, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given. And already, Frodo, our time is beginning to look black. The enemy is fast becoming very strong. His plans are far from ripe, I think, but they are ripening. We shall be hard put to it. We should be very hard put to it, even if it were not for this dreadful chance. The enemy still lacks one thing to give him the strength and knowledge to beat down all resistance, break the last defences and cover all the lands in a second darkness. He lacks the one ring. The three, first of all, the elf lords hid from him, and his hand never touched them or sullied them. Seven the dwarf kings possessed, but three he has recovered, and the others the dragons have consumed. Nine he gave to mortal men, proud and great, and so ensnared them. Long ago they fell under the dominion of the One, and they became ringwraiths, shadows under his great shadows, his most terrible servants. Long ago. It is many a year since the Nine walked abroad, yet, who knows, as the shadow grows once more, they too may walk again. But come, we will not speak of such things even in the morning of the Shire. It is now, the nine 
he has gathered to himself the seven also, or else they are destroyed. The three are hidden still. But that no longer troubles him. He only needs the one. For he made that ring himself. It, It is his. And he let a great part of his own former power pass through it, so that he could rule all the others. If he recovers it, then he will command them all again, whatever they may be, even the three. And all that has been wrought with them will be laid bare, and he will be stronger than ever. This is the dreadful chance, Frodo. He believed that the one ring had perished, that the elves had destroyed it, as it should have been done. But he knows now that it has not perished, that it has been found. And so he is seeking it, seeking it. And all his thought is bent upon it, and his great hope, and our great fear. Why? Why wasn't it destroyed? cried Frodo. And how did the enemy ever come to lose it if he's so strong and... And is it, it was so precious to him? He clutched the ring in his hand, as if he already saw a dark finger stretching out to seize it. It was taken from him, said Gandalf. The strength of the elves to resist him was stronger long ago, and not all men were estranged from them. The men of Westerness came to their aid. That is a chapter of ancient history which it might well be good to recall. There was sorrow then too, and gathering dark, but great valor and great deeds that were not wholly vain. One day, perhaps, I will tell you all the tale, or you shall hear it told in full by one who knows it best. But for the moment, since most of all you need to know how this thing came to you, and that will be tale enough. This is all I will say. It was Gilgalad, Elven King, and Elendil of Westerness, who overthrew Sauron, though they themselves perished in the deed. And Isildur, Elendil's son, cut the ring from Sauron's hand and took it for his own. Then Sauron was vanquished, and his spirit fled and was hidden for long years, until his shadow took shape again in Mirkwood. But the ring was lost. It fell into the great river, Anduin, and vanished. For Isildur was marching south, along the east banks of the river, and near the gladden fields he was waylaid by orcs of the mountains, and almost all his folk were slain. He leapt into the waters, but the ring slipped from his finger as he swam, and the orcs saw him and killed him with arrows. Gandalf paused. And there in the dark pools amidst the gladdened fields, the ring passed out of knowledge and legend, and even so much of its history is known now only to a few, and the Council of the Wise could discover no more. But at last I can carry on the story, I think. Long after, but still very long ago, there lived by the banks of the great river at the edge of the wilderland a clever-handed and quiet-footed little people. I guess that they were of hobbit kind, akin to the fathers of the fathers of the stores, for they loved the river and often swam in it, or made little boats of reeds. There was among them a family of high repute, for it was large and wealthier than most, and it was ruled by a grandmother of the folk, stern and wise in old law, such as they had it. 
the most inquisitive and curious-minded of that family was called Smeagol. He was interested in roots and beginnings. He dived into deep pools. He burrowed under trees and growing plants. He tunneled into green mounds. And he ceased to look up at the hilltops or the leaves on trees or the flowers opening in the air. His head and his eyes were downward. He had a friend called Deagul, of similar sort, proper-eyed fellow, but not so quick and strong. On a time they took a boat and went down to Gladden Fields. There were great beds of iris and flowering reeds. There Spiegel got out and went nosing about the banks, but Deagul sat in the boat and fished. Suddenly a great fish took his hook, and before he knew where he was, he was dragged out and down into the river, to the bottom. Then he let go of his line, for he saw something shining in the riverbed, and holding his breath, he grabbed it. And then up he came, spluttering, with weeds in his hair and a handful of mud, and he swam to the bank. And behold, when he washed the mud away, there in his hand lay a beautiful golden ring, and it shone and glittered in the sun, so that his heart was glad. But Smeagol had been watching him from behind a tree, and as Deagle gloated over the ring, Smeagol came softly up behind. "'Give us that, Deagle, my love,' said Smeagol, over his friend's shoulder. "'Why?' said Deagle. "'Because it is my birthday, my love, and I want it,' said Smeagol. "'I don't care,' said Deagle. "'I've given you a present already, more than I could afford. "'I found this, and I'm going to keep it.' "'Oh, are you indeed, my love?' said Smeagol. "'And he caught Deagle by the throat and strangled him, "'because the gold looked so bright and beautiful. "'And he put the ring on his finger.' They were never found out what became of Deagle. He was murdered far from home, and his body was cunningly hidden. But Smeagol returned alone, and he found that none of his family could see him when he was wearing the ring. He was very pleased with his discovery, and he concealed it, and used it to find out secrets. And he put his knowledge to crooked and malicious uses. He became sharp-eyed and keen-eared for all that was hurtful. The ring had given him power according to his stature. It is not to be wondered at that he became very unpopular and was shunned, when visible, by all his relations. They kicked him, and he bit at their feet. He took to thieving and going about muttering to himself and gurgling in his throat, and so they called him Gollum and cursed him and told him to go far away, and his grandmother, desiring peace, expelled him from the family and turned him out of their hole. He wandered in loneliness, weeping a little for the hardness of the world, and he journeyed up the river, till he came to a stream that flowed down from the mountains, and he went that way. He caught fish in deep pools with invisible fingers and ate them raw. One day it was very hot, and as he was bending over the pool, he felt a burning on the back of his head. A dazzling light from the water pained his eyes. He wondered at it, 
for he had almost forgotten about the sun. Then, for the last time, he looked up and shook his fist at her. But as he lowered his eyes, he saw far above the tops of the misty mountains, out of which the stream came. But as he lowered his eyes, he saw far above the tops of the misty mountains, out of which the stream came, and he thought suddenly it would be cool and shady under those mountains. The sun could not watch me there. The roots of those mountains must be roots indeed. There must be great secrets buried there, which have not been discovered since the beginning. And so he journeyed by night up into the highlands and found a little cave out of which the dark stream ran. And he wormed his way like a maggot into the heart of the hills and vanished out of all knowledge. The ring went into the shadows with him, and even the maker, when his power had begun to grow again, could learn nothing of it. Gollum, cried Frodo, Gollum? You mean that this very Gollum creature that Bilbo met? How loathsome! I think it is a sad story, said the wizard. It might have happened to others, even to some hobbits that I have known. I can't believe that Gollum is connected with hobbits, however distantly, said Frodo with some heat. What an abominable thought! It is true all the same, replied Gandalf. About their origins, at any rate... I know more than hobbits do themselves. About their origins, at any rate, I know more than hobbits do themselves. And even Bilbo's story suggests the kinship. There was a great deal in the background of their minds and memories that was very similar. They understood one another remarkably well, very much better than a hobbit would understand, say, a dwarf or an orc or even an elf. Think of the riddles that they both knew, for one thing. Yes said Frodo. Though other folk besides hobbits ask riddles, and much the same sort, and hobbits don't cheat. Gollum meant to cheat all the time. He was just trying to put poor Bilbo off his guard, and I dare say it amused his wickedness to start a game which might end in providing him with an easy victim. But if he lost, would not hurt him. Only too true, I fear, said Gandalf. But there was something else in it, I think, which... You don't see yet. Even Gollum was not wholly ruined. He had proved tougher than even one of the wise would have guessed, as a hobbit might. There was a little corner of his mind that was still his own, and light came through it, as, as though through a chink in the dark, light out of the past. It was actually pleasant, I think, to hear a kindly voice again, bringing up memories of wind and trees and sun upon the grass, and such forgotten things. But that, of course, would only make the evil part of him angrier in the end, unless it could be conquered, unless it could be cured. Gandalf sighed. Alas, there is little hope of that for him. And yet, not no hope. No... Not though he possessed the ring for so long, almost as far back as he can remember. For it was long since he had worn it much. In the black darkness it was seldom needed. Certainly he never faded. 
He's thin and tough still, but the thing was eating up his mind, of course, and the torment had become almost unbearable. All of the great secrets under the mountains had turned out to be just empty night. There was nothing more to find out. Nothing worth doing, only nasty, furtive eating and resentful remembering. He was altogether wretched. He hated the dark and he hated the light more. He hated everything, and the ring most of all. What do you mean? said Frodo. Surely the ring was still precious and the only thing he cared for. But if he hated it, why didn't he get rid of it or go away and leave it? You ought to begin to understand, Frodo, after all you have heard, said Gandalf. He hated it and loved it, as he hated and loved himself. He could not get rid of it. He had no willpower left in the matter. A ring of power looks after itself, Frodo. It may slip off treacherously, but its keeper never abandons it. At most he plays with the idea of handing it off to someone else's care, and that only at an early stage, when it first begins to get its grip. But as far as I know, Bilbo alone in history has ever gone beyond playing and really done it. He needed all of my help, too. Even so, he would never have just forsaken it or cast it aside. It was not Gollum, Frodo, but the ring that decided things. The ring left him. What, just in time to meet Bilbo? said Frodo. Wouldn't an orc have suited it better? This is no laughing matter, said Gandalf. Not for you. It was the strangest event in the whole history of the ring so far. Bilbo's arrival just at that time and putting his hand upon it blindly in the dark. There is more than one power at work, Frodo. The ring was trying to get back to its master. It had slipped from Isildur's hand and betrayed him. And when given a chance, it caught poor Deagle, and he was murdered. And after that, Gollum, and it had devoured him. It could make no further use of him. He was too small and mean, and as long as it stayed with him, he would never leave his deep pool again. So now, when its master was awake once more and sending out his dark thoughts from Mirkwood, it abandoned Gollum, only to be picked up by the most unlikely person imaginable. Bulbo from the Shire. Behind that there was something else at work, beyond any design of the ringmaker. It can be put no plainer than by saying that Bilbo was meant to find the ring, and not by its maker, in which case you were also meant to have it. And that may be an encouraging thought. It's not, said Frodo, though I'm not sure that I understand you. But how can you have learned all this about the ring and about Gollum? Do you really know it all, or are you just guessing still? Gandalf looked at Frodo, and his eyes glinted. I knew much, and I have learned much, he answered. But I am not going to give you an account of all of my doings. The history of Elendil and Isildur, and the One Ring is known to all the wise. Your ring is shown to be the One Ring by the fire writing alone, apart from any other evidence. 
And when did you discover that? asked Frodo, interrupting. Just now. In this room, of course, answered the wizard sharply. But I expected to find it. I have come back from dark journeys and long search to make this final test. It is the last proof, and all is now only too clear. Making out Gollum's part and fitting it into the gap in history required some thought. I may have started with guesses about Gollum, but I am not guessing now. I know I have seen him. You've seen Gollum? exclaimed Frodo in amazement. Yes. The obvious thing to do, of course, if one could. I tried long ago, but I have managed it at last. What happened after Bilbo escaped from him? Do you know that? Not so clearly. What I have told you is what Gollum was willing to tell, though not, of course, in the way that I have reported it. Gollum is a liar, and you have to sift his word. For instance, he called the ring his birthday present, and he stuck to that. He said it came from his grandmother, who had lots of beautiful things of that kind. A ridiculous story. I've no doubt Smeagol's grandmother was a matriarch, a great person in her way, but to talk of her possessing many elven rings was absurd, and for giving them away it was a lie. But a lie with a grain of truth in it. The murder of Deagol haunted Gollum, and he made up a defence, saying it was his precious over and over again as he gnawed the bones in the dark until he almost believed it. It was his birthday. Deagle ought to have given the ring to him. It had previously turned up just so as to be a present. It was his birthday present, and so on and so on. I endured him as long as I could, but the truth was desperately important, and in the end I had to be harsh. I put the fear of fire on him and wrung the true story out of him, bit by bit, together with much snivelling and snarling. He thought he was misunderstood and ill-used, but when he got to the last bit of his history, as far as the end of the riddle game and Bilbo's escape, he would not say more, except in dark hints. Some other fear was upon him, greater than mine. He muttered that he was going to get his own back, People would see if he would stand, being kicked and driven into a hole and then robbed. Gollum had good friends now, good friends and very strong. They would help him. Beggins would pay for it. That was his chief thought. He hated Bilbo and cursed his name. What is more, he knew where he came from. But how did you find that out? asked Frodo. Well... As for the name, Bilbo, very foolishly, told Gollum himself, and after that it would not be difficult to discover his country once Gollum came out. Oh, yes, yes, he came out. His longing for the ring proved stronger than his fear of the orcs or even of the light. After a year or two he left the mountains. You see, though still bound by desire of it, the ring was no longer devouring him. He began to revive a little. He felt old, terribly old, and yet less timid, and he was mortally hungry. Light, like the sun and moon, he still feared and hated. He always will, I think, but he was cunning. 
He found that he could hide from daylight and moonshine and make his way swiftly and softly by dead of night, with his pale, cold eyes and catch small frightened or unwary things. He grew stronger and bolder with new food and new air. He found his way into Mirkwood, as one would expect. Is that where you found him? asked Frodo. I saw him there, answered Gandalf. But before that he had wandered far following Bilbo's trail. It was difficult to learn anything from him for certain, for his talk was constantly interrupted by curses and threats. What has it got in its pocket, says, he said. I wouldn't say no, precious little cheat. Not a fair question. It cheated first, it did. It broke the rules. We're to have squeezed it. Yes, precious, and we will, precious. That is a sample of his talk. I don't suppose you want any more. I had weary days of it. But from hints dropped along the snarls, I have even gathered that his padding feet had taken him at last to Esgoroth, and even to the streets of Dale, listening secretly and peering. Oh, the news of the great events went far and wide in Welderland, and many had heard Bilbo's name and knew where he came from. We had made no secret of our return journey to his home in the west. Gollum's sharp ears would soon learn what he had wanted. "'Then why didn't he track Bilbo further?' asked Furrow. "'Why didn't he come to the Shire?' "'Ah, and now we come to it,' said Gandalf. "'I think Gollum tried to. "'He set out and came back westward as far as the great river, "'but then he turned aside. "'He was not daunted by the distance, I am sure. "'No, no, no, something else drew him away. "'So my friends think.' those that hunted him for me. The wood elves tracked him first, and an easy task it was for them, for his trail was still fresh then. Through Mirkwood and back again it led them, though they never caught him. The wood was full of rumour about him, dreadful tales even among beasts and birds. The woodmen said that there was some new terror abroad, a ghost that drank blood. It climbed trees to find nests, it crept into holes to find young, it slipped through windows to find cradles. But the western edge of Mirkwood, the trail turned away. It wandered off southwards and passed out of the wood elf ken and was lost. And then, then I made a great mistake. Yes, Frodo, and not the first, though I fear it may prove the worst. I let the matter be. I let him go, for I had much else to think of at the time, and I still trusted the lore of Saruman. Well, that was years ago. I've paid for it since, with many dark and dangerous days. The trail was long cold when I took it up again after Bilbo left here, and my search would have been in vain, but for the help that I had from a friend. Aragorn, the greatest traveller and huntsman in this age of the world. Together we sought for Gollum down the whole length of wilderness, without hope and without success, but at last, when I had given up the chase and turned to other parts, Gollum was found. My friend returned from out of the great perils, bringing the miserable creature with him. What he had been doing... He would not say. 
He only wept and called us cruel, with many a golem in his throat. And we pressed him, and he whined and cringed and rubbed his long hands, licking his fingers as though they pained him, as if he remembered some old torture. But I am afraid there is no possible doubt he had made his slow, sneaking way, step by step, mile by mile, south, down at last to the land of Mordor. A heavy silence fell upon the room. Frodo could hear his heart beating. Even outside, everything seemed still. No sound of Sam's shears could now be heard. Yes, to Mordor, said Gandalf. Alas, Mordor draws all cruel and wicked things, and the dark power was bending all to its will to gather them there. The ring of the enemy would leave its mark, too, leave him open to the summons, and all folk were whispering then of the new shadow in the south and its hatred of the west. There were his fine new friends who would help him in his revenge. Wretched fool! In that land he would learn much, too much for his comfort, and sooner or later, as he lurked and pried on the borders, he would be caught and taken for examination. That was the way of it, I fear. When he was found, he had already been there long, and was on his way back, on some errand of mischief, but that does not matter now. His worst mischief was done. Yes. Alas, through him the enemy has learned that the One Ring has been found again. He knows where Isildur fell. He knows where Gollum found his ring. He knows that it is a great ring, for it gave long life. He knows that it is not one of the three, for they have never been lost, and they endure no evil. He knows it is not one of the seven or the nine, for they are accounted for. He knows it is the one, and he has at last heard, I think, of hobbits and the Shire. The Shire. He may be seeking it, for now, if he has not already found out where it lies. Indeed, Frodo, I fear he may even think that the long unnoticed name of Baggins has become important. Oh, but this this is terrible, cried Frodo. Far worse than the worst that I am imagined from your hints and warnings. Gandalf, best of friends, what am I now to do? For now I really am afraid. What am I to do? What what a pity that Bobo did not stab that vile creature when he had the chance. Pity. It was pity that stayed his hand. Pity and mercy not to strike without need. And he has been well rewarded, Frodo. Be sure that he took so little hurt from the evil and escaped it in the end because he began so with pity. I'm, I'm sorry, said Frodo, but I'm frightened, and I do not feel any pity for Gollum. You have not seen him, Gandalf broke in. No, and I don't want to, said Frodo. I can't understand you. Do you mean to say that you and the elves have let him live on after all those horrible deeds? Now at any rate, he's as bad as any orc, and just as an enemy, he deserves death. Deserves it? I dare say that he does. Many that live deserve death. The 
and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. For even the very wise cannot see all ends. I have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies, but there is a chance of it. And he is bound up with the fate of the ring. My heart tells me that he has some part to play yet, for good or for ill, before the end. And when that comes, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. Yours, not least. In any case, we did not kill him. He is very old and very wretched. The wood elves have him in prison. They treat him with such kindness as they can find in their wise hearts. All the same, said Frodo, even if Bilbo could not kill Gollum, I, I wish he had not kept the ring. I wish he had never found it and that I had not got it. Why did you let me keep it? Why didn't you make me throw it away or destroy it? Let you make you, said the wizard. Haven't you been listening to all that I have said? You are not thinking of what you are saying. As for throwing it away, that was obviously wrong. These rings have a way of being found. In evil hands it might have done great evil. Worst of all, it might have fallen into the hands of the enemy. Indeed, it certainly would. For this is the one ring, and he is exerting all of his power to find it or draw it to himself. Of course, my dear Frodo, it was dangerous for you, and that has troubled me deeply. But there was so much at stake that I had to take some risk, even though... When I was far away, there has never been a day when the Shire has not been guarded by watchful eyes. As long as you have never used it, I did not think that the ring would have any lasting effect for you. Not for evil, not at any rate for a very long time. And you must remember that nine years ago, when I saw you, I still knew very little for certain. But why not destroy it? As you say, should have been done long ago cried Frodo again. If you had warned me or even sent me a message, I should have done away with it. Would you? How would you do that? Have you ever tried? No, but I suppose one could hammer or melt it. Try, said Gandalf. Try now. Frodo drew the ring out of his pocket again and looked at it. It now appeared plain and smooth, without any mark or device that he could see. The gold looked very fair and pure, and Frodo thought now how rich and beautiful was its color. How perfect was its roundness. It was an admirable thing, and altogether precious. When he took it out, he had intended to fling it from him into the very hottest part of the fire, but now he found that he could not do so. Not without great effort, he weighed the ring in his hand hesitating and forcing himself to remember all that Gandalf had told him, and then with an effort of what and then with an effort of will he made a movement as if to cast it away. But he found he had put it back in his pocket. Gandalf laughed grimly. <laughs> yes, yes, you see. Already you too, Frodo, cannot easily let it go, nor will do damage to it. And I could not make you, except by force which would break your mind. 
But as for breaking the ring, force is useless. Even if you took it and struck it with a heavy sledgehammer, it would make no dint in it. It cannot be unmade by your hands or by mine. Your small fire, of course, would not melt even ordinary gold. This ring has already passed through it unscathed, even unheated, but there is no smith's forge in this shire that could change it at all. Not even the anvils and furnaces of the dwarfs could do that. It has been said that the dragon fire could melt and consume the rings of power, but there is not now any dragon left on earth in which the old fire is hot enough. Nor was there ever any dragon, not even Ancalagon the Black, who could have harmed the one ring, the ruling ring, for that was made by Sauron himself. There is only one way to find the cracks of doom in the depths of Orodruin, the fire mountain, and cast the ring there. If you will, you, if you really wish to destroy it, to put it beyond the grasp of the enemy forever. I do really wish to destroy it, cried Frodo. Oh, well, to have it destroyed. I'm not made for perilous quests. I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why, why was I chosen? Such questions cannot be answered, said Gandalf. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, not for power nor wisdom at any rate, but you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wit as you have. But I have got so little of any of these things. You are wise and powerful. Will you not take the ring? No! cried Gandalf, springing to his feet. Without power, I should have power too great and too terrible. And over me the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed and his face was lit as if with a fire within. Do not tempt me, for I do not wish to become like the Dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is my pity. Pity for weakness and the desire of strength to do good. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it. Not even to keep it safe, unused. The wish to wield it would be too great for my strength. I should have such need of it. Great perils lie before me. He went to the window and drew aside the curtain and the shutters. Sunlight streamed back into the room. Sam passed along the path outside, whistling. And now, said the wizard, turning back to Frodo. The decision lies with you. But I will always help you. He laid his hand on Frodo's shoulder. I will help you to bear this burden, as long as it is yours to bear. But we must do something, and soon. The enemy is moving. There was a long silence. Gandalf sat down and puffed at his pipe as if lost in thought. His eyes seemed closed, but under the lids he was watching Frodo intently. Frodo gazed fixedly at the red embers on the hearth until they had filled his vision. And he seemed suddenly to be looking into the very profound wells of fire. He was thinking of the fabled cracks of doom and the terror of the fiery mountain. Well, asked Gandalf at last, 
What are you thinking about? Have you decided what to do? No, answered Frodo, coming back to himself out of the darkness and finding to his surprise that it was not dark and that out of the window he could see the sunlit garden. Or perhaps yes. As far as I understand what you have said, I suppose I must keep the ring and guard it, at least for the present, whatever it may do to me. Whatever it may do, it will be slow, slow to evil, if you keep it with that purpose, said Gandalf. I hope so, said Frodo, but I hope that you may find some other better keeper for it soon. But in the meanwhile, it seems that I am a danger. A danger to all that live near me. I cannot keep the Shire. I cannot keep the ring and stay here. I ought to leave Bag End. Leave the Shire. Leave everything and go away. <sighs> I should like to save the Shire, if I could. Though there have been times when I thought the inhabitants too stupid and dull for words, and I felt that an earthquake or an invasion of dragons might be good for them. But I don't feel like that now. I feel that as long as the Shire lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find wandering more bearable. I shall know that somewhere there is a firm foothold, even if my feet cannot hold there. Of course, I have sometimes thought of going away, but I, I imagined that as a kind of holiday, a, a series of adventures like Bilbo's, or better, ending in peace. But this would mean exile. A flight from danger into danger, drawing it after me. And I suppose I must go alone, if I am to do that and save the Shire. But I still feel very small, and very uprooted, and, well, desperate. The enemy's so strong and terrible. He did not tell Gandalf, but as he was speaking... A great desire to follow Bilbo flamed up in his heart. To follow Bilbo, and even perhaps to find him again. It was so strong that it overcame his fear. He could almost have run out there and then down the road without his hat, as Bilbo had done on a similar morning long ago. My dear Frodo, exclaimed Gandalf, hobbits really are amazing creatures. As I have said before, you can learn all there is to know about their ways in a month, yet after a hundred years they can still surprise you in a pinch. I hardly expected to get such an answer, not even from you, but Bilbo made no mistake in choosing his heir, though he little thought how important it would prove to be. I, I, I am afraid you're right. The ring will not be able to stay hidden in the Shire much longer, and for your own sake... As well as for others, you'll have to go and leave the name of Baggins behind you. That name will not be safe to have now, outside the Shire or in the wild. I will give you a travelling name now. When you go, go as Mr. Underhill. But I don't think you need to go alone. Not if you know of anyone you can trust and who will be willing to go by your side and that you would be willing to take into unknown perils. But if you look for a companion, be careful in the choosing, and be careful of what you say, even to your closest friends. The enemy has many spies and many ways of hearing. Mm -hmm. 
Suddenly he stopped as if listening. Frode became aware that all was very quiet, inside and out. Gandalf crept over to one side of the window, and then with a dart he sprang to the sill and thrust a long arm out and downward. There was a squawk, and up came Sam Gamgee's curly head, hauled by one ear. Well, bless my beard, said Gandalf. Sam Gamgee, isn't it? Now, what may you be doing? Lord bless you, sir, Mr. Gandalf, sir said Sam. Nothing. Leastwise, I was just trimming up the grass border under the window, if you follow me. He picked up his shears and exhibited them as evidence. I don't, said Gandalf grimly. It is some time since I heard the sound of your shears. How long have you been eavesdropping? Uh, eavesdropping, sir? I, I don't follow you, begging your pardon. There ain't no eaves at Bag End, and that's a fact. Don't be a fool. What have you heard, and why did you listen? Gandalf's eyes flashed, and his brows stuck out like bristles. Mr. Frodo, sir, cried Sam, quaking. Don't let him hurt me, sir. Don't let him turn me into anything unnatural. Me old dad would take on so. I, I meant no harm, on my honor, sir. He won't hurt you, said Frodo, hardly able to keep from laughing. Although he himself was startled and rather puzzled although he himself was startled and rather puzzled. He knows as well as I do that you meant no harm. But just you up and answer his question straight away. Yes, sir, said Sam, dithering a little. I heard a deal that I didn't rightly understand about, and enemy and rings and Mr. Bilbo, sir, and dragons on a fiery mountain and elves, sir. I listened, because I couldn't help myself, if you know what I mean. Lord bless me, sir, but I do love tales of that sort. And I believe him too, whatever Ted may say. Elves, sir, I should dearly love to see them. Couldn't you take me to see the elves, sir, when you go? Suddenly Gandalf laughed. <laughs> Come inside, he shouted, and putting out both his arms, he lifted the astonished Sam, shears, grass clippings and all, right through the window and stood him upon the floor. Take you to see the elves, eh? He said, eyeing Sam closely, but with a smile flickering on his face. So, you heard that Mr. Frodo is going away? I, I did, sir, and that's why I choked, which you heard, seemingly. I, I tried not to, sir, but it burst out of me. I was so upset. It can't be helped, Sam, said Frodo sadly. He had suddenly realized that flying from the Shire would mean more painful partings than merely saying farewell to the familiar comforts of Bag End. I shall have to go. But, and here he looked hard at Sam, if you really care about me, you'll keep that dead secret, see? If you don't, if you even breathe a word of what you've heard here, then I hope Gandalf will turn you into a spotted toad and fill the garden full of grass snakes. Sam fell to his knees, trembling. Get up, Sam, said Gandalf. I thought of something better than that. Something to shut your mouth and punish you properly for listening. You shall go away with Mr. Frodo. Me, sir, cried Sam, springing up like a dog invited for a walk. Me? Go and see the elves and all? 
Hooray! <laughs> he shouted and then burst into tears. And that, folks, is the end of chapter two. Everyone, what an exciting thing to be embarking upon here. Sierra Maria says, oh, I want to listen so bad, but next weekend I've got a four-hour drive to Virginia Beach and I'm holding off to listen on my drive. An excellent plan, Sierra Maria. Uh, you have got this to listen to. You have got Sherlock Holmes to listen to. Read the first chapters of uh, A Study in Scarlet. Y'all, it's an exciting time to be around here at Sidecar Stories. I hope y'all are as stoked as I am. I certainly am real excited. Y'all, man, does it feel good to be back here. Right? Not just with The Hobbit, because of course, I had a lot of fun with The Hobbit. Those songs... Which reminds me, I gotta get The Hobbit, like, sort of more more cleanly available. Um, we shall see what I can do about that. Man, I'm a busy, busy, busy boy. But, everyone, thank you so very much. Y'all are excellent folk. I want you to remember, I am going to be taking a vote over in Discord. Um, I'm going to be taking a vote over in Discord as to what time we should hold these streams in the future. Uh, just know that until I announce it, I'm going to probably announce it like two weeks in a row before I actually change any times. So just know that this is not an immediate change, but I'm going to be voting for what time we want to hold these streams. Do we want to keep them at 4 p.m. Pacific time? Do we want to move them a little earlier or a little later? Uh, and I am going to be holding that vote over in Discord. All right, something to keep an eye on. Um, Make sure that your voice is heard. It's going to be uh, much much like usual. It's going to be one of those things where I sort of, um, I'm going to let you include, I'm going to let you vote for as many times as work for you. Basically, I'm just going to ask you all to uh, uh, check the box for all of the hour segments roughly that you can be here to, uh, uh, to listen because I want to make sure that I can really get the most people listening possible. I, I, I want people to be able to listen live and uh, to join into the discussions. Because I really, really like having you all here. Oh man, this is so weird. I've just had like a moment of epiphany where I've realized like how comfortable I am doing this now. This is so weird. Um, weird, but really a, a positive thing. It feels good. <laughs> Y'all know, like, um, Y'all know sort of like how, how I've talked about stream brain in the past and how, you know, certain things like it makes it really tough. It's just a bit of a disconnect, but Honestly, at this point, I've been doing this long enough. Just like seeing your names in here and, and knowing you all as I know you, I'm a lot more comfortable than I ever have been in the past. What a grand time to be streaming. Y'all, I want to say thank you a ton for being here. Um, We ran pretty long today. Uh, I am going to, I'm going to, uh, a pretty spade, I'm definitely going to unload one one birdie bots every flavor bean because you earned it uh and now if anybody else has invited anyone to the stream and they're here now i of course will do that as well otherwise we're going to bank them for a future stream um vish says vish says uh elves i want to see them reminds me of a kid lol um uh jade says rank choice voting nice uh, quick shot says, bye Sam, I love the reading. I'm glad you did. Have a great one. Everybody, we have, we have premiered multiple different series here, and not just reading. Um, 
We premiered uh, the ongoing Sherlock Holmes read-through. We premiered uh, the Oblivion re- uh, uh, playthrough, um, where I'm taking a very... I'm, I'm, I'm a story hunter over there. Uh, uh, um, Pretty Spade has been helping me with mods, which means that uh, from the first episode to the second episode, you are going to see a, a huge improvement in the graphics uh, and a few other things. Uh, I'm about to load up the like the, the, the interface mod and everything. So it's going to look a lot better, and uh, it has improved quite a few other things as well. Um, I do hope that you are excited about that as I am. It's a huge... It is an enormous... Um, uh, nostalgia boost for me, which, as we've talked about before, I don't really get nostalgia boosts. Um, so for whatever reason, uh, Oblivion is bringing back nostalgia in a huge way for me. So uh, catch that. Of course, we've got this, which is premiering. And then, uh, you know, coming up, my my late nights that I, I used to spend playing Warzone, that time was clearly wasted. Uh, instead, I'm going to be doing uh, some Oblivion. And then the times when uh, I have not streamed in the past... I might be doing like a silent stream because I want to show you all what I have been crafting uh, and, and how my crafting tends to go. Cast it, they're going to be the Oblivion streams and these crafting streams, they're going to be irregular. I plan for them to be frequent, but not super regular. It's going to be a lot of just sort of like jump on with whatever time I want to spend doing it. Um, so that's just so y'all are aware, but those are both going to be ongoing, uh, which means now I think we're up to about five streams uh, about five regular streams, which is going to darn near fill up my days. So everybody, uh, wish me luck with all the editing that's going to need to be done. I really don't plan to do much editing for, uh, anything except for, uh, Sherlock and Lord of the Rings. And of course the, the Wednesday streams as per usual. Um, uh, so everybody, thank you a ton for being here. I love y'all. Thank you a bunch. Uh, Louise says doing chores in the dark makes it feel like winter. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And hey, winter is coming. Get it? Lord of the Rings? I'm joking. Please, I'm joking. Please. Purdy Spade, JT, please, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, Purdy Spade, are you still with us? Because if, you if you're not, if you have uh, perhaps drifted off, I want to hold off and use that lean, mean, Purdy Bots Every Flavor bean for when you are, uh, when you're up and about. <laughs> Arnold remembers Gondor does not sew <laughs> what's that Orly Rose I want you to come back also, uh, I am looking over at uh, Orly Rose has put some very cool art over in the Lord of the Rings channel. Um, many of you are right. We do need a uh, a spoilers channel. So let me go ahead and add that right now. Can I clone channels? I don't think that's a thing. Uh, no, that's okay. I don't really need it. Um, uh, this one is going to be called uh, LOTR Spoilers. Excellent. Uh, it is not going to be a private channel. It's going to be the same as the rest of this. So there we go. Let me. Oh, it cut off. Honestly, I was about to say it cut off one of my letters, but I'm guessing my real guess. I probably just spelled it wrong. L-O-T-R. There we go. I do think Proteus Bade may have fallen back asleep. Good night, Courier 6. Good night. <laughs> this is. 
The, the especially weird one, as I've mentioned in the past, is when I go into the the live stream channel over in Discord, and for some of y'all, I will I will have ended a stream, and then I'll come back a couple hours later to Discord and realize, oh, wait, Brody Spade is still here, still connected, and uh, in the weirdest possible way, I know it's super weird, but in the weirdest way, when I go through and manually disconnect you from the Discord calls, it feels a little bit like I'm tucking you into bed. <laughs> I know it's super weird, but I get over there and I'm like, okay, just just disconnect these two or three people who are lingering here. It's like, well, good night. Good night, friend. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, um, over here, uh, Orly Rose in the Discord has uh, put together a very good picture of, um, uh, it looks like a work in progress of a hobbit hole door. Uh, and Orly Rose if you go ahead, once you have finished that one, please let me know, um, because I will include that in my big upcoming diorama uh, that I'm going to be crafting of Hobbiton. Just so you're aware. Everybody, I want to thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Proteus Spade will hold off on that on that uh, Birdie Bots Every Flavor Bean until later on. Everyone, this has been grand. Uh, what an incredible book fair. Matter of fact, you know what's weird? I'm sort of taking inventory right now, and my voice, my voice is not as uh, in as bad a shape now as it was last night. Yesterday was much worse. Uh, this one went great for some reason. Uh, JT, I thank you very much for joining us. That's pretty cool that you dropped in here. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for hanging out. And if y'all want to know where you can find uh, the back episodes of this, if you want to know where you can find uh, our entire read through of The Hobbit. Uh, or any of the many other things that we've read, Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, Hunger Games, uh, RPG stuff, Great Gatsby, Frankenstein, Christmas Carol, The Hobbit, Murder on the Orient Express, Telltale Heart, Dagon, etc., etc. Please use the playlists command at any time in Twitch chat, and uh, you can uh, find the link tree. Link tree slash sidecar stories um, is the main one, but if you're looking for playlists specifically, A, you'll be able to find it in the main link tree as well, but link tree slash SCS playlists. You can find it all there. Uh, and that's just a big collection of all the various places where I've got uh, my different read-throughs. Y'all, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for a grand book fair so far. I will see you all tomorrow. Don't forget. Don't forget, gang. Tomorrow is going to be, uh, when I get up, uh, we're doing coffee and costume contest. We're just going to hang out for a while. I'm going to delve into the costumery stuff that I have been messing with for some time. Cass and I were trying to put together like a fairly convincing kind of uh, wizardy outfit without having to do any sewing, just via like complex wraps. And boy, if you know anything about that, please, God, let me know. <laughs> we're going to be messing around with that. And I'm going to ask you all, not tonight, not until tomorrow. Not until tomorrow. I want to see basically just your most recent costume. Uh, whether you got pics of it uh, recently, I would love to see new costumes. But I, I want to see just uh, just whatever costumery stuff you've got. Because I think it's a lot of fun. I, I need some inspiration to help me out with mine. Uh, but we're doing that uh, for the early stream. And then tomorrow's later stream, uh, we are going to be doing as a, as a send-off to book fair. We're going to be doing short stories, specifically spooky short stories. So please join me for Shadows Over Innsmouth by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, potentially more Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I'm going to sort of like, we're going to head on over there and I'm going to take some votes onto which stuff y'all want to read next. I know we're starting with Shadows Over Innsmouth, uh, which is the next story in the, uh, uh, in the series of stories 
uh, that starts with Dagon. We read Dagon last time, and that was people's, like, favorites, so get up in there. JT, how many fake languages do you know? <laughs> JT has a, an encyclopedic knowledge, uh, like our, just a regular Milo Thatch, and nobody tell JT. I want to know if JT can guess it for yourself, JT. If I, and you, you, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to look it up. If I tell you you're a regular Milo Thatch, do you recognize that reference? <laughs> if you can't, if you don't know it, I will tell you, I promise. I'm not, I'm not one to keep it away. Oh, that's the one. That's the one, JT. Yeah, and frankly, y'all, if you're interested, if, you, uh, if you've enjoyed uh, Atlantis, uh, Disney's Atlantis, or if you've enjoyed Treasure Planet, which frankly, all of you should, we should even do a watch party for those at some point. Oh, that would be great. I'm still here. <laughs> my singing voice. Okay, I, I did say my voice was in good shape. Not my singing voice. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you like those things that I just mentioned, uh, go hang out over in Discord because I have got a second Discord now. The Realms of Recetus RP and Adventure Server. Um where you can join in as your very own character in a world that we have, as a community, been building for three years at this point. Uh, it is vast and deeply explorable. We've had so much fun. Uh, I've been, you know, taking on all of your lore suggestions and everything, uh, and it is really its own thing. We did a, a year-long campaign in that already um, uh, to begin with during the Recitas Arena campaign, uh, and it was kind of a, a light idea there. It was sort of a... It was almost a world, but then, since then... You know, we spent all that time doing the world building, and now we are, we're in the midst of a second campaign that's been about six months long, uh, and we've got the RP server now, which, and they're all taking place in different parts of the realms of Recetus. Y'all, it's been absolutely dope. Uh, if you want to, if you want to have some swords and sorcery adventure, come on down. Come on down. And uh, especially if you've got some, ex some experience with uh, kind of text-based RP stuff, I could use some help with a few logistical things moving forward. Uh, but overall... I cannot tell you how happy I am with Discord as a tool for doing text-based RP stuff. It keeps things so organized and super searchable. Uh, super, super happy with it. Anyway, all this to say, I'm so excited about the things that are happening in Sidecar Stories right now. Just impossibly cool things happening in, uh, in Sidecar Stories here at the moment. I want to thank all of my patrons. Uh, I want to... Uh, thank everyone who has been a part of Patreon in the past. Of course, as I've mentioned, if you can only support for a, sh a short amount of time or you have to stop at some point, you are not an ounce less welcome here. Let me say thank you so much to these people who have kept Sidecar Stories running and allowed us to grow from just a once-a-week uh, little thing where I, I read a few uh, chapters of Harry Potter into this massive project uh, where I can spend so much time on this. I've said it before, I'll, I'll, I'll have to say it more often, even though money isn't the best thing to talk about, um, but it is one of those narrow forms of support that allows me to dedicate real time to this during my week. Uh, up at the very highest level, oh, I did, the, I did the thing again, there we go. Up at the very highest level, uh, my thrilling trilogies, I want to say thank you to Jade and Dahlia, um, holding it down not only up at the very top level, but at a... <laughs> But for a long time, uh, one down to the shocking sequels, uh, Hogwarts Hippie, holding it down. Down to the uh, Novel Nouveau level, uh, Deb, Gems, Marinver, and Sander, thank you so, so very much. Uh, to my chapter champions, I want to say thank you to Mama Bear, Courier 6, Gwendog, Ash, 
Gertie and Kibo, Sparkle Lovegood, Vicky C, Ali D, Orly Rose, Mike Steele, and Snarky. Uh, at the pristine page level, I want to say thank you a ton to Lazy to the Bones, Hook or Crook, Lucy, Good Courage, Amy, Neens, and Holly, and of course, uh, our 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 mighty bold bookmarks, uh, um, uh, Molly Wobbles Jr., Intikana, Melty, Tanisha, Luis, and Singsay. Y'all are the reason why this can continue. Y'all are the reason why it has only grown over time. Uh, Orly Rose says, man, Sam, this past year has been, uh, this year has been wild. Last book fair, we were just past not even knowing if we would continue. Right? Absolutely. Y'all, I was, I was depending on, you know, Twitch for things and, and, you know, counting on eventually making it with, uh, with YouTube. I was relying on so many things other than what I should have been. Um, and now with, with Patreon as a much, much, much safer way for me to, uh, uh rely on support, you know, when y'all, when y'all are trying to send money my way as support, uh, you know, Twitch takes half of that and they just announced that they're going to be doing that even for the very, you know, some of the very highest levels of streamers. Um, that's always how it's been for me, but there's always like the possibility I was going to eventually be a Twitch partner instead of just a Twitch, um, what are they called? I don't know, Twitch, it starts with A, I don't remember. Um, but, uh, I don't have to worry about that. Because I've got all this support over on Patreon, um, I know I can count on that every month. Uh, every tiny little bit, every, even at the very lowest levels, every little bit of that is important. And every little bit of that, I mean, uh, over the course of the month, like, that helps me to put together these streams, right? Uh, just, uh, you put a handful of the very lowest, uh, the very lowest tier, um, of, of, uh, patrons together, and they're helping me go from, I can, I can, um, uh, I can stream this to, like, spending some time editing. Uh, there's a reason why y'all are able to find these things, uh, even though, like, uh, we we got the copyright trolls over on YouTube, uh, even though you know Twitch is not a great platform to be discovered on. There's a reason why this stuff is still available to you, and that reason is patrons. Okay, so keep that in mind uh, as we as we move forward. Um, just just I'm I'm thankful. I'm thankful to you all. Everybody, I hope you have an excellent night. Uh, and I think we're gonna try. Let's see if there's anybody to raid on over to right now. Um, there's nobody that I know super well, so I am instead going to bid you adieu. Everybody, I will see you tomorrow um, for our early stream. Like I said, we're doing some costume stuff. I'm going to make some, uh, maybe some iced tea, maybe some coffee, some iced coffee. Just going to hang out with y'all, and uh, we are going to, uh, we're going to rifle through my, my costume bin and see if we can't put anything together, because I've been collecting, but I have not had a chance to put together anything, really, since those pictures I put up, like, what, three or four months ago? I've been collecting. I want to see how this stuff looks. See if we can't turn Sam into a wizard. Good night, everybody. I love y'all. Head on over to the Discord. Uh, of course, if you have uh, not been around here before, head on over to the Discord, linktree slash sidecar stories, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. That is the link to follow, especially to the Discord, and that is the link to share. If you think anybody would be interested in Oblivion or tabletop RPGs or uh, the crafting streams or Sherlock Holmes or Lord of the Rings... Just throw that link their way. You know, simple as, simple as, hey, I found this internet weirdo. Check this out. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I would be honored. Hey, I found this internet weirdo. Uh, how's this grab you? <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for being here. I will see you all tomorrow for our last day of book fair.
Don't make me cry. Bye-bye.